Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This crowd rises to its feet. Pataro slammed it home. Garland left wing, three ball. Perfect. Garland one of the lane, locked. The only pow. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Pow with the left hand and a foul. The Chase Down Podcast brought to you by Fubo TV. Watch over 100 channels of live sports and TV for half the cost of cable. There's no contract. There's no commitment. Try free at FuboTV.com. Hello, everyone. This is not Justin Rowan. This is Carter Rodriguez back uh, after I ran away from the grind, uh, after the Cavaliers were eliminated by the New York Knicks in five games, after I boisterously predicted Cavs in five. I got the amount of games right, just not the uh, not the eventual winner. Um uh, Justin uh, and Mac Robinson were so uh, kind as to cover for me while I was on a, on a work trip. And thank God for a good work trip to get away from your troubles. But you can only run so long. And joining me in the despair uh, is my dear friend Jeff Nomina covering for Justin. How you doing, buddy? Uh, I was also a Cavs at five, but I feel like we just like need rotten fruit thrown at us for the next hour or so here. I think I think we aren't normally so um you know i i definitely am the pessimist of my particular pod duo i feel like you angst with the best of them i think this is on us in a lot of ways you know we we yeah, we we, yeah. we have believed and and that's on us in the end it just when you went through the the, the talent when you went through the rosters it just didn't feel like this should be this close or not this close. I mean, obviously <laughs> not this close, but it didn't feel like it should be close in general. Uh, it, it felt like I was getting a little over my skis. I was getting a little cocky about it, but it didn't seem outlandish. It didn't seem like, like this was likely or possible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and like, I think we should probably just start with, it's been, you know, just over a week, uh, you know, uh, actually just under a week since, uh, since the Cavs were eliminated. Um, and, you know how how is your how are you feeling a week removed? Um, do you feel uh, just as upset? Are, are you going full Dixie chicks, not ready to make nice? How, how are you feeling a week out? Because I I think I I think I finally landed in a healthy place. I prepping for the pod. I'll tell you what. If you guys have an unhealthy relationship with your sports team, uh, do a podcast about them. Because when you have to think critically about it, it actually helps quite a bit. But I feel like I, I settled into some semblance of security today but how are you feeling you still you still hurting 
It's funny, you told me that um, the last time I was on, we talked about this before the pod, was right after the trade deadline. And you were like, we were both kind of grumpy. And you're like, well, once you sit through the pod, once you have to think about things, once you have to talk it through, you'll feel a lot better. Um, and I did. So I'm hoping that happens now because I am not better. I am. I uh, was joking earlier, though, I'm having like an existential crisis. Like, can I still be a sports fan? Does this bring me any joy? <laughs> David Zabak and I have like a running joke that we're going to like pick up a new hobby. Like, we're just going to start doing puzzles. Like, I'm just going to be a puzzles guy because sports bring me so little joy uh, so much of the time. Uh, so I'm still... I'm still grumpy to the point where like, I don't think I've watched more than like two minutes of another game. Like I'm just, I'm still, I can't decide if the fact that it just all went bad, like every single thing was bad is helping me or hurting me right now. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. You know, and like to the sports pain point, like I've always said, there is no other hobby that any part of society partakes in where there is like a, 50% 50% chance or greater that you leave that hobby miserable. Yes. Could you imagine if, you know, one of your wife's favorite things to do left her this upset? You would be, would be like, curious. you would be, first off, thank God for all the, the significant others of sports fans across the world for putting up with this. Because, like, I was pouting uh, after game uh, after game four, uh, cause obviously I wasn't home for game five and I just knew I was such a loser to be pouting yes. at my house with my children and my wife. And, uh, you know, you can't help it. You can't help it. I, I do think, um, here's where I think I have landed. Um, and maybe this is, uh, as the kids say, some premium copium, but I have a theory and I, I, I want to bounce it off. You know, I wonder if the parity in the NBA and the talent level in the NBA is such that the styles make fights type of thing that we would historically just say, yeah, I mean, it's a weird matchup, but they're not as good. Uh, or, yeah, they've got better depth, but you know, they're not as good at the top. Maybe everyone's so good now that that's less of a factor that you have to play well and you have to, um, you have to out execute. You can't out talent like the the way that the Cavs got to do in you know 2018 as an example. Uh, obviously, they had to fight their way to the finals, but they did it. And like, I don't know if you can do that in today's league with today's talent level. And we were sort of an extreme version of that because there wasn't a lot of different looks we could send out. There weren't a lot of cards to play if the first thing didn't work. And given the chance to, to scout for that, to plan for that, I mean, we, we kind of got punched in the face. Like we just didn't have much of an answer at all and and didn't really even make a ton of attempts at, you know, things that could, uh, there just weren't a lot that JB could do. And I wouldn't say he did pull a ton of levers to, to change things significantly either. So like, yes, you're right. Like the style played into it more. And we were also at a disadvantage there because just based on the roster and things, we couldn't play many different styles to try to combat anything that they were doing. Yeah, I just I look at Memphis Lakers. I still think Memphis is probably the more talented team of those two teams, just top to bottom. Uh, obviously, you know, AD was insane, but LeBron's on one foot. Like he really is on one foot if you're watching closely. But you know, LA was able to get Memphis into half court sets. Uh, they were able to protect the boards, um, and like they said, hey, uh, in you know, in the closeout game, 
Ja Morant's going to take four corner threes in a row because we so uh, we are so perfectly equipped to take away what you want to do. Uh, same mm-hmm. with the Miami Heat. Um, you know they've always been able to give Milwaukee trouble, um, and you know they said, "Hey, you know we're not better than you, but we're just going to fire up a ton of threes and hope hope it gets hot." And like sometimes those those I just feel like there is a little bit more consideration to style and seeing kind of these upsets because uh you know if if there's one thing to feel better about as a Cavs fan and like I guess to some extent you could argue it should make you feel worse uh is that everyone's losing you know uh the the Celtics are down 0-1 uh playing without Embiid uh for for the Sixers the Bucks are out of the playoffs the Grizzlies are out of playoffs the Kings are out of the playoffs the Suns are down 0-2 uh, despite having, you know, what appears to be a top end talent advantage. Um, so like maybe it is maybe style, uh, versatility and, and fit in, you know, that rock, paper, scissors, chet, uh, kind of, uh, you know, my strength beats your strength, but your strength beats someone else's strength. Maybe that's just what the Cavs ran into in the series. And that's not to say, I don't think there's a lot they should learn or take away, but like it's happening. So everywhere else. You know, that, like, I can't help but wonder if, like, there might be something of a trend here. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of it. Um, so if you're if, if that's your copium, I'm going to take a little hit of it because it, it <laughs> does make a lot of sense that when it's happening to this many different teams, it makes it easier to look at yours and say, like, well, we're not the only ones. Like, clearly, there's some sort of weird market factor or, or happening here that, that is causing more than just us to, to, to experience this. But ours was so extreme; it still hurts. Really? Oh bad. yes. Like it, it, it happened. It happened quickly, and it never felt like we really were in it. It was shocking in that regard to me. It didn't even feel like much of a fight. So I think that is probably a little bit of. Um, I, I think that's probably not fair. The the more I think about it, in the sense of we never weren't playing their style. <laughs> like they weren't. Uh, they they dictated the terms the entire series. That is certainly true. But they were in these games, really. Like they were in them, but they yeah. were down eight almost all the yes. time. Like they, we were. It wasn't like we were giving up late leads. It's not like we were sure. we close at the end, and it was some free throws. Like it was us chasing them. The sure, it was I certainly agree. a it thorough defeat. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not here to back off of that. But I do think they were in these games, and like to that end, I do think their top end talent kept them in it, even though none of their top end talent performed particularly well. And like, I think probably where we should really start like analyzing, um, kind of trying to post more this series is like you did mention everything went wrong. They couldn't get defensive rebounds. They, their depth was clearly not there. Like JB clearly had four guys he trusted and only three of those could, might be good at on a given night, maybe five. If you count Karras, um, the rotations were were weird and messy. It felt, you know, like we Justin and I talked about, you know, going to Ricky in Game Three, like preemptively guessing that they would be rattled. It seemed uh, the bigs got bullied. The guards had horrific series uh, at, at different points. You know, I think uh, Darius was slightly better, but he also had the worst game by a mile um, uh, in in Game Three. Uh, they, they couldn't shoot. The spacing was a mess. And like, I think the challenge of having so many things go wrong is it's kind of hard to identify cause of death. You know, I, I, I think I titled this episode a playoff postmort for a reason, because that's really what we got to do. We got to figure out 
what was the root cause uh, in a pretty rough series? And like, where does your brain go? If if you're Kobe Altman, if you're JB Bickerstaff, if you're this collective organization, like, what do you do? What do you pinpoint? Because like, I talk a lot about how the front office and the coaching staff has to choose which lessons to learn from. Uh, this is kind of my theme of every po- of every off season is you don't you can't react to every lesson because <laughs> sometimes things are interdependent or you just need to be patient. So like, what lessons do you kind of leave this going? What do you what do you what is your first step towards diagnosing this this cause of this cause of uh, ejection in the postseason uh, en route to trying to fix it next year? I think maybe some versatility. Like, I just don't think they could throw out enough but different looks. I think when things weren't working, you know, the fact that Jared Allen was still just trying to battle Mitchell Robinson for rebounds in game five and losing consistently. And, and I'm not blaming him. I'm not like one of those thinking he got bullied. Like, he, he's asked to do a million things on that end, and it just was not really fair. But the fact that we just couldn't really go to many different looks, I think, was really hard. So I think they need some versatility, some guys that could play some different positions. We talked about this after the deadline. They have, a, like, an entire roster of sort of one skill like not even one way but kind of like one skill kind of guys and it makes it really hard to cobble together lineups it'd be nice to have some guys that can just fit different places play up or down a position and really do different things so we can throw different looks at teams because when things when one looks not working it's really really hard if you don't have the personnel to start giving different looks and, and part of that is shooting like they need a lot of shooting but some of that hopefully will come internally like Darius garland better be shooting eight threes a game next year you know, like the, that just that has to start happening. Evan Mobley's got to start learning to to shoot a little bit, and they need to add shooting. But I think they need shooting that can move around to different spots too, like not just a very specific shooter. You know, stretch for like not just that. Like they need guys that can move around a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like to that end, like obviously, you know, the Kevin Love thing is going to keep coming up till it doesn't. And you know what? Uh, like I think, uh, gosh, I, I I hope I'm not misattributing this, but. Uh, I think it was Ben Cox um, that tweeted like, you know, har- harping on Kevin Love kind of feels like playing the result, but the result matters, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and the result uh, was a team that missed defensive rebounding and shooting. Um, so yeah, you're, it's going to come up. It just is, you know, the fact that he's not, he was on the team and then he wasn't, you know, the team not only didn't add at the deadline, they, the, a piece of talent left. Uh, that talent did not look like it was going to be super helpful at that point, but still, you know, it, it, it certainly was a factor. Um, mm-hmm. But to your point, I do think there is something about, you know, multi-positional shooting. Like you don't just want, I don't think this team can just add a pick and pop big this summer and go done spacing solved. Like right. you you need different to your point of like uh, of, of that versatility. It does feel like you need versatile shooting you need movement shooting you need pick and pop shooting you need you you can just have guys who can space to the corner and just do minor relocation shooting but you have to do it all i don't think you can just add like one archetype like you know max Struess's name is going to come up a lot this summer uh uh, at least for me uh as like the you know a kind of ideal target as a movement shooter but like if you just add one shooter it kind of reminds me of uh, the kind of thing the uh, Grit and Grind Grizzlies tried to chase. They would always chase that one shooter. And it's like, well, you're still playing three guys who can't shoot or won't shoot. Right. And like, so you have to, this might have to be a kind of a systemic thing where you go, 
hey, everyone we're looking at getting minutes that is not the core four had better pull, you know, uh, if they play 36 minutes, they better take six or seven threes. Um, mm-hmm. That might have to be the kind of philosophy Kobe goes with. And like, I think to me, when you're looking to identify like what lessons to learn, I I think the shooting or the versatility, I think it's actually all um, kind of a similar way of saying, let's just knock out the easy stuff first. <laughs> you know, like I, like, I don't know how much I want to focus on Donovan Mitchell having a horrible series right now. Yes. It's just because it's like evaluating the messiest possible data. Um, you know, like, because I, I watched that series, and sure, Donnie didn't play super well, but also every time he had the ball, he had Josh Hart beating him up at the point of attack and three Knicks on the way. So It's such a fascinating thing to figure out because every single guy pretty much underperformed, and every single one of them had a pretty decent excuse for why. Yep. But it's like somebody, if everyone's getting that much <laughs> attention, somebody should have been able to do something, right? Like Mobley should have been able to handle Randall, like score a little bit on Randall one-on-one or, you know, Garland should have been able to take all that attention that's going to Mitchell and make more happen with him. And Mitchell should have been able to do more because he's the superstar and the playoff guy. And it's just, it's interesting to look at it and like, I can make a pretty strong case why everyone underperformed, but at some point, like somebody had to be open, right? Like somebody had to have opportunities. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and it is hard, you know, I think, that's why I kind of keep going back to let's try to build a structure that we know kind of works in the postseason. We know that you need to be able to shoot the basketball. We know you need to put out different kinds of lineups. So like when you're looking at the kind of choices Kobe needs to make this summer, whether it comes from internal growth or from free agency or from trades or whatever it might be, probably not the draft, no first round pick uh, this year. Um, so plenty of good second rounders out there. I, 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 I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be fully into I'm going to be fully obsessed with three players by the time we get there. But <laughs> with all that said, like it does feel like you need to like like what what player archetypes are you looking to add um to to kind of address those issues? I would love to find and I'm going to give out like three names of guys that are very unlikely to be able to be acquired by the Cavs, but like the, the Harrison Barnes, Grant Williams, Cam Johnson, three, four tweener kind of guy. And I know a lot of those guys are more fours and threes, but I think on this team, Lori kind of showed us that you could be a three, four and, and play the three pretty well and have success. Like that kind of guy, I think would be really helpful because it gives you some interesting lineups. It lets you downsize, put more shooting space teams out, stretch them out more. And that probably makes life a lot easier on Allen and Mobley. I think, you know, that was maybe one of the lessons is how hard life was on those two guys uh, in a playoff setting and being able to give some different lineups, play some guys off the court and, and give those guys more space would be really helpful. So I would love to find some of those kind of tweener jack of all trade guys that could do a lot and maybe not putting the ball on the floor a ton, but they're able to do a lot of things, not take a lot off. Um, Dean Wade was kind of supposed to be that guy, you know, he's had kind of a lost season, but some guys that, that can shoot, that can defend, that can rebound a little bit play multiple spots that that three, four spot, I think would be huge. Yeah. I I think that's fair. I think that's kind of one of the first places I look because it's just the most obvious, you know, Uh, especially if Evan's going to be the team's like primary backup five, then whoever Mm -hmm. your backup four is, you know, you're going to want, you're, you're going to want that position flex. And like, maybe it is Dean. Um, I, I do think 
that it went wrong enough down the stretch that you can't just guarantee that. Like, I think if you had asked me two months ago, I would have said Dean would just need to get healthy and I, I have faith. But, you know, the the jumper was bad enough and you, you, you just realized I, I just left that going like we can't count on Dean that much. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think that Dean really has a great future with this team. Um, but it kind of just felt like everyone was one or two spots too high in the we need you to be great uh, yes. <laughs> power rankings. Uh, and and Dean, like, like needing Dean to be, like, the linchpin to the, the, the only thing stopping you from Jetty at the four um, just felt a little... It was just a little too much to ask of him. And even... And obviously, you can look at how the shooting splits went after he hurt his uh, his collarbone, um, and that does matter. But even before that, like if you looked at his splits on open threes versus contested threes, not super great when he's when he's closely guarded. Um, so, like, there is something there where you have to say, like, hey, like we need someone who we can trust to like hit a three with a closeout coming at him, uh, playing and that's those the minutes. That this team just. We don't have guys other than maybe Mitchell who shoot with a hand in their face at all. It's it's kind of jarring sometimes when you watch other NBA teams and That's how many been, threes they get off. Story of the playoffs for me, Jeff, is like, oh my gosh, these guys are really firing them up. Like we have to be wide open. And even then, pump fake and drive about 30% of the time. And a lot of these teams, I mean, they're shooting with no airspace whatsoever. And we need... We need to find guys who do that, but I also think we need to find ways to challenge the guys we have, the Okoros, and like I said, the Garlands, and uh, Mobley's not going to be there for a while probably, but some of these guys, Dean, like need to be able to pull with with less space and need to be doing it way more often. So there's like that internal growth could help there too. But yeah, we need to find guys that, that really do that. The other thing that I think getting a big 3-4 um, to, to help with this roster, I think the other thing that it kind of does is it allows you to to play more aggressive against point of attack players. Um uh Jackson Flickenshire posted this uh this amazing stat um uh in in the uh uh from Warriors Kings where when Steph was on the court, the Warriors offensive rebound rate was 33.1%. When Steph was on the bench, it was 16.9%. And that very much mirrored the Knicks when Nick when Brunson was on the court, Nick's offensive rebound rate was 42.1%, which is bananas, by the way. Just mm-hmm. absolutely bananas. Uh, and that's in games two through five. So that's when they started blitzing him. Uh, and then when Brunson was on the bench, it was down to 237 which is not great, but it's not going to lose you a series. Right. Um, and I think the fact that if you are going to play a style where, okay, like, I get it. Okoro might not be perfect for every series. And, like, even... Like even the biggest Okoro fan, I don't think you want to be like we got to match his minutes to Brunson or any top point guard. He's got to play forty two for you know like that. That feels like right. asking too much of Isaac. So if you are going to have to play this small backcourt, uh, and you don't want to just say Jetty Osman, good luck. Then you want to add more size to help protect yourself. Um, cause if you're going to put two on the ball, like you look at a lot of Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein's offensive rebounds, a lot of them were not Robinson just manhandling, um, from, from even footing though. He did have a couple of those. I don't want to let Jared off the hook. Um, uh, but a lot of them were Jared had to go, had to go shade strong side 
or or blow or help guard a four on three because they blitzed Brunson, and you know, and then Mitchell is able to duck in and get great position, you know, and if you're playing a little bigger at the three in some of those lineups with a little bit burlier of a person, a little bit of a stronger player, you can meet them. You can meet him there a little earlier. You can gang rebound. You can, you know, I remember the Warriors uh, in 2017 were throwing literally two bodies on Tristan Thompson to stop him Mm -hmm. from getting offensive rebounds. But we just didn't really have the size to do that. And we weren't really in the position to do that. So if you have that bigger lineup, I think that's one of the great things about the Lowry lineups last year was that no matter who got switched out onto the perimeter, whoever had to go guard in space, you still had two 6'10 to 7-footers near the rim to go help, to go switch out, to go tag out, and then eventually you could stabilize in short circuit. So that, that I do think there is something there. Um, how much, how, how willing are you to chase a movement shooter to help resolve this, even if they aren't particularly big? So I feel like this is like a dream thing that you and I have had for a long time. We always bring up like the, the Channing Fry or like the Kyle Korver that kind of unlocked the, the LeBron Cavs, right? That having that guy who is just moving around enough, wreaking a little bit of havoc on the defense and knocking down shots. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty willing to, to chase that. I just think with every, with all the other offensive talent we have, it makes us scary on that end. And you're going to give up a lot on defense, but the offense could just be so good for stretches that it's absolutely worth it. Just throw it out. See if, see how hot that lineup gets, see how many they're hitting. And it's a different look that might just run teams off the floor every now and then. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Um, you know, and uh, after game four, I think I looked it up and the Cavs had the, I think it was the fourth worst playoff offense in the last four years. Um, going up against the 17th best regular season defense. And I know some of those numbers are, are, are juiced because Robinson missed some time. And once he got back they took and Hart got added, they took a leap. I get it. I get it. But there is a degree of like, if Josh Hart is the reason you lost a series in five games, you got bigger fish to fry. You know, that can't I, be the reason. It felt like I was taking crazy pills on some of the conversations because the offense was dead last in the playoffs. Awful. Like we just couldn't score. And all anybody was talking about, and don't get me wrong, the rebounding was a big deal. It 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 absolutely impacted the series. But like if the offense was just mediocre, are we thinking about it? Does it matter? Are those games close? No. I in fact, after game one of Nick's Heat, uh, I, I've already started to see my prediction come true that if Jalen Brunson matched his numbers from Cavs Knicks, uh everyone would be like, Oh man, I don't know if Brunson's got it. <laughs> like instead of him being like this absolute calf killer offensive engine can't believe we all underrated him so much which i still feel that way i still think he's a a way better player than i ever thought he was so like i have to give him some credit but like if if you're just scoring 108 points a game you might sweep like that's crazy that's crazy that that was the bar he's hitting all these crazy contested shots that feel like backbreakers but like if we were scoring on the other end, him hitting a couple of contested shots doesn't feel nearly as big of a deal because we're, we'd be running them off the floor. So like it's it's, I don't know what lesson to learn from that other than just the shooting on the offensive side, though. And I know that's what we're going through. We're talking about how we add that, but it, it, it's interesting how far that went that fast. And I I don't know if it was just a you know sometimes it's just a bad shooting series and sometimes. Sometimes Jared Allen's right and the lights are a little bright. Here, here's the thing that um, I found concerning 
uh, is, you know, we spent a good portion of the season talking about shooting luck. Um, much to the chagrin of our listener base, who wanted us to hold people accountable and grrr. Um, and, you know, I get it. It's no fun to talk about luck. But I, after again, after game four, I, I, uh, I, I did not check after game five. But through game four, through four games, I went in and checked. The Caps were like 10th in the postseason in wide open 3.3 point percentage. They weren't, I was like, I open it kind of desperately hoping to see them like 16th. They're just missing shots. But no, the offense was not good. Like this was a a, a bad process series where they were not. We didn't do it well at all. Like they we were just missing shots. We were not getting good shots. Yeah, they were not consistently able to pull Mitchell Robinson out of the paint. Um, they were not consistently able to uh, generate clean looks. Uh, Mobley struggled in the short roll, um, and like they, and none of their little pet actions worked. They just got beat up off ball for all their little split actions, much like, and really a, a karmic way to go. Uh, for the Caps, uh, given what we, how we won our title, aka mugging the Warriors off ball, but that's what happened to us in this series, um, which again continues my uh, comparisons with our offense and the Warriors' offense uh, over the year. But uh, yeah, it just feels like one of those kind of like the universe. Everything went wrong, uh, especially on the offensive end of the ball. I think you know, like we talk about everything going wrong. I actually think we probably should be crediting the defense. They they played awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. Played Julius Randle out of the series. Um, obviously, the the ankle was a factor, but you know, really, almost no one killed them. Um, uh, RJ had a couple great games, um, but really, I think the defense was just fine. Um, but you know, uh, the the offense just wasn't dependable. But you know what is dependable, Nam? Our video conference software. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Jeff, I got to ask you, uh, I think we both agree that Darius didn't have a good series. Donovan didn't have a good series. Evan had a good series on defense, but certainly not on offense. And Jarrett didn't have a good series. And yet, their lineup data with those four on the floor was pretty good. So what do you take away? What does that mean? I, I, does it mean that even when, does it mean that their fit and their talent level is so good that even when they all play poorly, they still can beat uh, a team that is hitting on all cylinders? Or like, like, what do you take away? I, I, I'm a little bit at a loss. I, I think the defense is just a backbone. I think it's an absolute, you know, floor raiser for us. Like that, no matter what, we can rely on that. And those two bigs do a lot there. It's why I bristle a lot at people who want to, you know, look at different ways instead of having two bigs on the floor. I just think it's our identity. I think it gives you such a floor um, that it lets you be good. And if we had a little bit more variance, if we had a little bit more versatility in what we had around them to get the offense, to make sure that that was, that was humming, um, that you're going to be okay. Like I came away thinking like, okay, if the offense is this bad, because a lot of times if you can't score, your defense starts to suffer, right? Like how yep. often do you see that? And it didn't, they, they were able to continue with that. And that to me is pretty encouraging in terms of that lineup. Yeah. I think I'm at that point where I think you're right. I think the floor is just so high. And if, you know, I think if you're looking at lessons to take away, it is, we just need to find fourth and fifth guys to fill out lineups. Cause once you look at that lineup data, once you go down to three, three man groups without the fourth on the floor, it just, mm-hmm. like, it just wasn't there. Um, and, and I think most of their, you know, quote unquote, really bad minutes uh, for all those stars did happen with, you know, fourth and fifth uh, players on the floor that like they were just getting outscored. They were just not consistently creating good looks. And, you know, I think that to some extent, if there was a victim of, you know, some shooting luck, there were some stretches in this series where the starters were out there generating awesome looks and unable to make things. Like if there was any stretches in the series where they were getting, uh, offense that I was like, okay, I see what they're trying to do. Uh, and you know, uh, Donnie missed a wide open three that Darius got for him or, or Darius missed a mid ranger or Evan missed a, 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 a mid, a short roll floater that he makes every other time. Um, I, I do think it might've been there. Uh, but I guess what I would ask you is has your belief in any of those four guys do you feel like you have to adjust your expectations for them moving forward? Because clearly we were incredibly high on those four going into this series. Um, and in a lot of ways, we're like, yeah, this is the playoffs. They have four of the best in this. If we had known Randall was going to be in this kind of shape, we would have comfortably said we have four oh, of the yeah. best, best five guys in the series. Comfortably. Oh, yeah. And 
Uh, that clearly did not play out that way in practice. I did, despite my bluster about Cavs and Five, I did warn that I thought there was a lot of variance on on how that could play out. But with that said, quickly also had a bad series. So, right. you know, like, at, do you feel like you going into next season, going into next playoffs, you're going to kind of have a different perception around any of those four, or is it just... I want to see them with a with better spacing, with better versatility, with better fourth and fifth players. Um, I would say Garland is the one. And it's funny that his numbers ended up as good as they did because game three was so bad for him. And it felt like there was long stretches of other games where he struggled, um, but also had just brilliant stretches where he was absolutely incredible. Um, I want to see him continue to be aggressive. Like even in game was it game four or game three where they missed a million shots? He still t- kept taking shots, right? Do I have that right? Yes. Was it four for 20 or something? Yeah. Um, and it was at least encouraging he was taking those because I think sometimes he stops looking and he doesn't generate a ton of looks for himself, um, at least quality looks. Sometimes he'll he'll be too easy to bait into running into traffic well, and throwing I think, up a floater. I think the the, the best stat to, to say is uh, Tony Pester for the sword tweeted uh, that Midway through the third quarter, Gabe Vincent had taken more threes so far in that game than Darius took in any game in the series. And it's one of those things where I don't even necessarily know that he's playing poorly or doing something wrong. But if you're going to play with the lineups that we have, especially with the two bigs, he just has to create threes for himself more than he does. Like he, it, For this to work, he has to do that. Even if his style is makes sense now and, and he can be efficient, but for the whole team framework, to work, especially in playoffs, so like, I just think he needs to to create more looks for himself that aren't just running into traffic and throwing those up. So he's the guy where like I need to see that click for him. You know, he's far enough into his career where all right, I need to see you kind of realize that you can take over in a different way. It's his main skill, right? Like those, his shot is so good. Like he should be leaning on that. Mobley is a guy that like I would I would hope he has better offensive performance next year, but it's his second year, and I I I'm not changing my long-term perspective on him at all. But Garland is the one where maybe just a little bit, I, I just want to see a little bit more next year, a little bit more selfishness or a little bit more hunting uh, from him because if that if he can't get that, I think it changes the ceiling for the team and how the roster can be constructed. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely fair. And you, know, you kind of cued me up for Mobley, which is, again, I don't think I'm ready to change my opinion on the kind of player Evan is, is and is going to be. I still think... The back half of the season, the decisiveness, the the nastiness, the touch, um, the playmaking, that's all real to me. Um, but I do think it's like, this is why uh, the buzzkills among us that say, hey, can you cool it? Are probably right. You know? I mean, I think there's no better play to, to kind of cover his offensive performance in this series than when uh, he caught the ball in the short roll went to throw his patented lob to Jared Allen and threw it straight off the backboard. And it bounced so far that it almost went to the three point line. Like that is rushed stressed offense uh, in a way that I've never seen Evan play that stressed uh, that tight. Um, You know, it's Jared is going to get a lot of flack for his, you know, lights were too bright comment, which I think is unfair by the way, if I can soapbox for a second, I hate, that we ask players to be honest. And then when they're honest, we go, 
It's like, yeah, like I we all watched that series. I think the lights were a little too bright for this team. Um, you know, I in, in, I, I love that he said that. Yeah. I was I was excited. I was like, we there's nobody who watched that series does not believe that that's what happened. Yeah. So I want them to hear. I don't want to hear them just say, oh well, you know, we got outplayed. Blah 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 blah. Like I want them to say, like, oh man. I need to reevaluate this. I walked out there. That was too much. I now like, I get it. I know what it is now and I can be better. Um, so, uh, but to that end, like, you know, Jared, Jared, I think Jared's struggles in that series kind of covered for Evan's offensive struggles in that series. I think people were so focused on Jared getting beaten up by Mitchell Robinson that they failed to see Evan short circuit on some of these, uh, floater attempts where he's like, he's getting up there and he's like aiming it. Uh, cause he's so concerned about Mitchell Robinson. Obviously Robinson had an awesome series, but like you're already seeing in this Miami series ways that they're attacking him. Uh, and I mean, this is one of the most foul prone players in the league, uh, over the course of his career, almost never got him unstable. Um, and I think that's a byproduct of just being rushed. So I think Evan's growth, I, I think if I was hoping for that year three offensive mega leap, I think I'm giving it another year at least before I expect mm-hmm. that. So like in that sense, I am adjusting my expectations for Evan, not in the long term, but in the short to midterm. I don't think it's fair uh, to after that big, a big of a exposure of his, you know, of some of his limitations to be like, okay, he's ready to get 24 a game now. Like, I just don't think that's happened, but maybe this is exactly what you need. Like I've talked about it a lot. Like, you know, I, I keep using like autopsy terms, but I think it's the best way to describe it. It's like you have something to break down to see like, oh, this was taken away from me. Like my limitations were laid bare and I have all summer to work on those things. So like maybe I'm wrong, but I'm going to like be a little patient. What about uh, Jarrett? Um, I feel like Jarrett is the one where you ask the most questions about coming out of that series, uh, just in the sense of, the i was always worried about him against you know the omega big big men um mm-hmm. that were you know hyper physical but i meant like joel Embiid. <laughs> i right. i didn't mean mitchell robinson um and the fact that he seemed tentative with his touch uh offensively i i think he had an okay defensive series i think it it was it was overshadowed by the fact that he got beat for so many boards but i thought his help defense was pretty good um but, you know, it did feel harder to be like, this is a core four guy when you're getting run off the floor by Mitchell Robinson. Where do you feel about Jarrett um, uh, coming out of that series? Like, do you just think it was like he was kind of a victim of scheme more than anything else? Or do you think it's like, hey, you, buddy, you got some limitations you got to work on, too? I think he absolutely needs to take some lessons from that. I mean, he just needs to get stronger. Um, there's no question. And... I don't want to absolve him because he clearly did not play well, but I do think he was set up to fail in a lot of ways um, to your earlier point on you know, the point of attack. We have two pretty small guards that are not keeping guys in front of them a whole lot. And he's asked to do so much. And I, I kind of wonder how much you can expect. You know, we talk about the behemoths and stuff. Well, if you switch him out for somebody who's going to guard Joel Embiid, that's going to change the whole scheme. And, and that guy's going to get played off the, the floor by, smaller teams that want to stretch you out. So it's kind of a hard one where he just sort of is what he is in that regard. That style works. It works with Evan and unlocks Evan in a way that is really important. So he needs to get stronger, but I think 
to your earlier point, like we need to surround them with players that that don't put them in that position. I said it earlier, but like by game five, if he's looking demoralized and getting beat on the boards every time, like we have to have another look. Like we can't just keep going back to that. So he played poorly, but I feel like it's kind of exasperated by the fact that we couldn't really change what we were doing and give a different look. And he just had to kind of go out there and eat it the whole time. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Again, like I think this is why you're going to hear me, you're going to hear probably Justin, you're going to hear Cavs Twitter talk about third bigs um, a lot of the summer, you know? Like, this guy is not gettable at all um, for myriad reasons. And frankly, uh, I'll lose my mind if we add another guy off an ACL. But, like, someone in that Brandon Clark archetype who can be that 4-5, not just a 3-4, but if they can find someone who's a 4-5 who can help uh, share the load. Because I think against teams going small, Jarrett actually is great. Um, I think it's actually against teams that go big that it's actually a little bit harder for him. Because, you know, his mm-hmm. greatest advantage, which is his vertical uh, uh, spacing uh, and lob threat dominance, gets wiped out a little bit. And he has to finish with his touch over outstretched, outstretched arms. And that's a lot harder. Um, so, like, getting finding ways to, like, shift up in size as much as shift down in size matters a lot. Like, the Cavs played so small the back half of the season with Dean Hurt and Kevin off the team. Like... It can't be the plan to put Danny Green or Jetty at the four next year. It just right. can't. And like I know that they wanted it to be Dean, um, and and hopefully this summer Dean can get healthy, bounce back. But again, I think I'm looking to invest in that four five area because like 
the reality is as much as I, I mean, I think I'll catch an L on thinking Robin Lopez would be a little bit more ready to help out. I think he's just on the wrong side of his age curve. Yeah. Um, and like, I do wonder, cause I, we've now seen it with, uh, Rolo. We saw it with Moses Brown, uh, last year did not expect a Moses Brown, uh, uh, reference in this, in this episode now. Uh, but I do think, I think I have settled with the idea that what they need is not a slow drop big, even if it's a really capable one, uh, because I think it breaks what they do to the Mm -hmm. point their scheme is so not built around that, that it just like, it just doesn't, it's not compatible with the rest of the roster. Um, like maybe I'd feel different if they really had a more spry big, that was like an elite reader of the game. Like if you have like Brooke Lopez, guy but you're not going to get that guy for like the minimum so like i think i'd rather take a risk at like you know i, I know a lot of people loved mamadi diakite this year and like i don't think it's him uh as a you know a playoff rotation guy but like someone that archetype that 610 bouncy high energy uh, high physicality um I, I do think that helps uh because if, if you're not just going to be stronger and you're not just going to be bigger than Mitchell Robinson. Because, like, there's no, they're not going to get stronger and bigger than Mitchell Robinson uh, right. with, with the guys who are going to play heavy minutes. So you have to come at it with a different tack. Um, and I think that winning the energy battle uh, probably goes a long way. So trying to find someone who uh, has a little bit more of that that, that springy energy at the 4-5 seems meaningful. How much do you care about toughness right now with this team? Um, because I think the big narrative coming out of this was a bunch of nice young men that got beat up by a hyper-physical team, and you need to be tougher if you're going to win. But then we just watched a hyper, you know, quote-unquote, tough Grizzlies team get run off the floor by the Lakers. Uh, and, you know, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, that's toughness. That didn't help them so much. So, like, how much do you care about the word toughness right now? Uh, for for this team and like how much do you think toughness should factor in to the types of players they look to you know supplement the roster with i i don't buy it nearly as much as like some of our scheme stuff and roster you know skill wise stuff that we've been talking about it would be nice to have somebody maybe who provide a little bit of a wild card um but not i'm not prioritizing it over fit of anything else or addition of any other skill I think that's, it's just a way to explain things away. Like, I don't know that Jared Allen got out toughed as much as he just was at a disadvantage. Like Mitchell Robinson, how much does he outweigh him by? Yeah. Like, a a lot. A ton. Yeah. So like, was he out toughed? I don't know. Or was he just smaller than him and not as strong as him? And, and, and having to help on Jalen Brunson four on threes. Right. Like he wasn't going to like help out on Brunson and come back and then dig Robinson out, uh, Mitch Robinson out of the, out of the line. Like it just wasn't going to happen. So I don't buy that. It was just like a lack of toughness. I, and that's, it's hard because I do agree with like the lights too bright thing, but I don't think that's something you just add. It's not like you add some guy and now everybody's fine and, and the lights aren't too bright or whatever it is, right? Like they just needed that experience. I think they'll come back next year having learned that and be tougher or whatever you want to call it. Like they'll have that experience. They'll be more ready for it. Yeah. I, I think I tend to agree Um this uh, this is a team that prided itself on its toughness all year. Um, you know, like junkyard dog chain, winning the scrap. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think 
that does have to come from within though you know mm-hmm. like you have to um but a lot of this just comes down to you're gonna look um less tough when your offense revolves on you know these off ball actions that have two pin down screens uh and you have a small guard that's trying to get loose you know <laughs> like whereas like New York gets to feel tough. They have a bunch of hyper physical offensive players that just you know bur- burrow their way uh, to, to baskets. So I I, I don't know uh, how much of that is playing the result again. You can't just not acknowledge the result because the Cavs did get beat up in that series. But I do think like maybe the Knicks wouldn't look so tough if they had to scramble out to Max Struess in the corner <laughs> instead of uh, instead of Isaac Okoro. Do you think we could be tough? Like, do you think tough is an attainable thing when you have Garland and Mobley and Allen? And I mean, Mitchell's like a big guy, but he's still kind of slight. Yeah, like at, at its base, the talent, the top end talent of this roster, is it suddenly going to be tough because we added a couple other guys? Or is the identity of this team like not really trying to be tough? I think that is it's an interesting question, um, but I do think it's still kind of chasing the wrong uh i think still think it's still chasing the result to me uh of kind of how this feels um i think that the number one factor that no one ever wants to acknowledge is the difference between grown man strength and mm-hmm. young man strength ad did not used to be strong <laughs> like he did mm-hmm. not he used to get pushed off his spots and people called him soft and you watch him in that Grizzlies series, like compared to like Jaron Jackson Jr., who is also older than, you know, our, than, you know, a guy like Evan Mobley. And it's like, oh, you're not like physically where he is. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he can beat you up um, just on account of I'm older and, and bigger and stronger now. Um, and like Jarrett just turned 25 10 days ago or whatever it was. Um, Evan is 22. Is he still 21? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Still 21. Either way, like, I think Evan has shown a predisposition to that kind of violent play that as he develops grown man strength, it'll start feeling a lot different. Um, And then, you know, I, I don't know. I think that the coaching staff prioritizes that contact. They like playing with it. Um... So I think they can be, I guess is what I would say. Um, they just can't get, they, they, they just can't be so behind the eight ball. Uh, and, and again, it is, are people not calling them tough if they score 109 points a game? Like right. we might be annoyed <laughs> about offensive rebounds against the best offensive rebounding team in the league. But are we going, are we having an existential crisis as to, how physical our team can be. I I don't know about that. Um, so like, I just think it was kind of a perfect storm, um, which again makes it really, really difficult to evaluate. And like, and, and I do think before we wrap, I, I do want to talk about Donovan Mitchell um, because this was not, I, at the end of game one, I worry that this was going to be the, Ah, it's Donovan and everyone else type of series where he scores all the points because he knows what he's doing and everyone else isn't ready and now it's a whole narrative. But I thought other than game one uh, and maybe parts of game two where he was really mostly just giving the ball to Darius, um, that was bad uh, in this series. And like, I do think 
that I, I talked a lot about how the top four have to be a certain level with the way the roster is constructed if you want to be a title contender. Like, that's just the way it is built. I was think Donovan has to be a certain level that's different. Uh, His level is maybe a little bit higher yeah. than what the other guys, yes. right? It has His to playoff be. level has yeah. to be. Absolutely. And, until Mobley's ready and maybe that calculus changes a little bit. But, like, here's the stark reality. I don't, I think, and I think, I don't know him. It's not like we hang out on weekends. But I think Donovan would tell you he did not play like a dude who uh, had three firsts and two swaps and three rotation players traded for him. And as much as I want, and, and, and I think that's where I'm having a really hard time because they're so, it's so easy to contextualize it away. The spacing was poor. Um, the other guys were not ready. Um, uh, there were, there were, the depth was not showing up and consistently contributing. And yet I still look at that price tag. I'm, and maybe this is just straight up. We're spoiled because we had LeBron, mm-hmm. but I am not used to the best player on my team, not being able to solve the problem. Um, and I think that, uh, and maybe that's a, maybe that's a coaching staff and a scheme thing. I, I think there's probably not enough being talked about the Cavs offensive scheme uh in that series the fact that they just didn't seem to try other stuff as far as i could tell kind of felt like it was just banging your head against the wall offensively um so maybe it's that maybe it's the spacing maybe it's the depth maybe it's whatever it might be um but it it did leave a oh i didn't know that was a possible playoff outcome for donovan mitchell I did fear a little bit going to the series because everyone kept saying, well, you know, Don Mitchell's a playoff player. I just wait till the playoffs. Like this guy is a different animal in the playoffs. And when you count on that, things get really difficult because if you don't get it, it can go south quick. And it, and it did. Um, so I, I want to start by saying, like, I'm not like blaming Donovan Mitchell. He's awesome. What was he, sixth in MVP? Like, yeah. That's very exciting that we had a guy sixth in MVP. Um, and I, I total faith he's going to be awesome going forward. But him being that bad offensively, I think you could argue is like the biggest difference in the series. Like we were expecting him to be the steady hand, the guy who'd at been least there, Brunson who'd been there, you know, cause yeah. Brunson was dealing with uh, schemes built to, to mess with him, dealing with elite mm-hmm. perimeter defenders, guarding him uh, and Isaac Okoro, uh, an elite help defense at the rim. Um, and the fact that I didn't feel like he even matched Brunson's production, um, that, that definitely hurts. Um, and, I just think, like, ultimately, if, if we're talking about how we're kind of re- recalibrating our expectations for the four stars, and none of these, no, the core four, none of these are like, I'm out on any of them. I still really mm-hmm. believe in these four. The fact that their lineup data is good, despite all of them having, you know, desperately bad series, tells me that I, I feel comfortable that I'm right in that. But with that said, like, in terms of adjustments for Donnie, I no longer think he is scheme and matchup proof. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think the Cavs are going to have to find ways to loosen him up uh, in a way that you kind of didn't have to do that for LeBron, you right. know, like, and I know it sounds so stupid to be like, he's not LeBron, but like as fan, as diehard Cavs fans, we are so conditioned to watching 
like the best problem solver in NBA history solve problems. And this team's going to have to do more for Donovan Mitchell. So like in a way, yes, I'm throwing down the gauntlet at Donovan, but really I'm throwing a gauntlet down at the rest of the team that like, and that's front office, that's coaching staff, that's his teammates. Like you can't just like say, Donnie, go save us because it's, I'm not saying it's going to be this bad against other series. Like I do think there are a lot of specific things that made this matchup really, really hard, but like that cannot be your organizational philosophy. Um, and I, I think that's a really important lesson to learn. And looking back at the regular season, I think there was probably more times than maybe it felt in real time where the offense got completely lost, completely bogged down, and Donovan Mitchell just scraped together a performance that won us games. Yep. And drug the offense through the mud and out and said, all right, we're gonna we're gonna do this. And when he couldn't do that, it kind of felt like everyone was lost. And I, I almost wonder if that was part of it, where everybody was kind of like wait, is this the time when, when Donnie comes and saves us? And like, he couldn't do it. And everybody was just like, oh, and it just went downhill fast because he couldn't do it. Like there were so many stretches where it was like, oh man, we need a bucket. This is normally when Mitchell comes out and scores eight quick ones. And it just was not happening, not happening, not happening. And it just felt like a spiral from there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was there. He, everyone needs a release valve, but like they might have to find a way to get a crowbar <laughs> this this summer, like to to abuse that metaphor so you know just not rely on him so heavily like give him to your point give him some help give him the space and give him some scheme help like let's not just say all right you know go save us like like get him the help there to to spring that a little bit yeah i mean look look at look at the the environment in utah that allowed him to be like the fifth leading playoff scorer points per game of all time heading into that series it was ton of uh four out kind of offense with an elite uh, screen and roll man that allowed him, you know, easy reads. Uh, I mean, think about how many turnovers he had trying to pass through traffic. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you got it. You're going to have to try. You don't have to bend this, the, the spectrum all the way over that direction and say, we're just making it easy for Donnie. Cause we saw that that did not work in Utah. Eventually they gave up too much on the defensive and rebounding side of things to, uh, make up for how electric that team's offense was. But you have to give him a little more to play with uh, if you really want to see him maximize his potential. So lot to learn, uh, you know, and again, like, thank goodness for this podcast, Nam, because it really does help me. I, I feel like I came into this podcast still kind of feeling adrift uh, as to like what to take away. And I, I feel like, as the Cavs front office and coaching staff evaluates, like I think there's there are real takeaways to get to um, that are not quite as that are st- that are accounting for that this stuck, this sucked to to lose in five the way they lost in five, but that don't have to be these broad stroke reactive things. That there are little if if you just tweak the knob, you know five percent one way that. Oh, everything got so gets a lot easier now. And this whole series might, you know, turn on something that simple. So I do think they have some optionality. Uh and they're not as trapped as you might think they are. Yeah, I'm interested too, just in and it's less exciting because it's not transactions, it's not stuff you can see right away, and it's it's gonna take a long time to bear out. But all right, they've tasted really bad defeat. How much better does the core four come back next year? How different are they? when they come back 
do we see Darius take another leap? Does Mobley take a big leap? Do these guys just get in the lab all summer and work like crazy? Like that to me might be as exciting as as any real transactions we're going to do to replace you know the six through ten guys or whatever. Like I want to see what these guys come out like next year. I, I've said this a lot that I think that there was something really really important. Uh, and that, and I keep talking about LeBron. So I, I'm sorry if you're if you're not a LeBron fan. I, I mean, look but, at your wall. Like, there's a reason. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> um, but I do think that one, uh, the the probably the most important year for LeBron's career was there was that summer after they lost to the Mavs, because it was mm-hmm. the first time you could say there is no contextualizing this. There is mm-hmm. no, um, you know, there's no blaming my teammates. I just failed. I wasn't good enough to get things done the way I needed to, and I have to go nuts to improve mm-hmm. at my at my shortcomings. I think last year, I think one of the biggest pain points of last year's injury collapse was that we got cheated of that moment. Uh I we we that timeline almost pushed back a year of getting punched in the mouth and having to react to it, you know? Um, because even through the play-in, you could say, "Well, Karras played six minutes with the with the with the the other starters, and Jarrett was playing with one hand in the second play-in and didn't play in the first one." And it was just so easy to say, "Once we're healthy, we'll get there and we'll be good." And then then you trade for Donovan and you go, "Now we're really gonna be good. <laughs> we have Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchell." And all these young guys, we're all nice. We all like hanging out together. We got good vibes. We got good talent. We're young. We're hungry. And boom, punched in the mouth. So, like, I I really do think that everyone in the organization kind of, that is an opportunity to say, hey, um, we were the healthier team. Uh, We came Mm -hmm. in just as hot, if not hotter. And we still lost. Uh, and not and pretty convincingly we lost so mm-hmm. we're gonna have to get better at every level or be doomed to, to to face the same result so uh i do believe in the integrity of this team i do believe that this is a team of players who love basketball uh, and you cannot understate that like these mm-hmm. aren't a bunch of dudes who are just play, collecting a check and and playing because they happen to be tall and athletic i, I think that uh Kobe has really identified mostly like players who really freaking love the game and love being in the lab, love to grind. And like, if there, if there was ever a, a group that I thought would bounce back, it would be this one. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited to watch it. I'm excited to see who comes back, what they've added, what they've done. Um, and to your point, I hope everybody takes a look. So with, with some new players around and with some new schemes, like I, I'm excited to just see the lessons that everybody learned um, coming out of it. Absolutely, buddy. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I think I think we ended in a good place. Uh, I'm, I'm finding I'm getting myself ramped up. I'm playing around on spot track and free agency. I'm looking I'm looking at ways to improve the roster in ways that will never ever matter and are a huge waste of time. Thank you so much uh, for jumping on, Nam. Uh, you are truly um, the honorary third host of of the Chase Down, um, and uh, I always appreciate you coming on, buddy. I always love the opportunity. Appreciate it. Good to talk with you. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, listening. If you're watching on YouTube, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Please go ahead and like that video to pump up that algorithm. If you are listening on audio, please subscribe, review the podcast, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, help cook those books and uh, help juice 
this wonderful Cavaliers podcast. We're going down to one a week for the for the postseason. So you'll see us mostly on Monday nights moving forward. Cannot wait to see what this postseason brings us. Thank you so much for listening and watching. And as always, go Cavs. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.